This episode is sponsored by Coingaming.io, Permission.io, and Bittrex Global. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and watching to Untold Stories, where twice a week, I get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders to find out how this movement truly came to be. And today I'm broadcasting uh, not live, but I'm broadcasting from sunny Sarasota, Florida. It's a beautiful day. I'm getting ready for the weekend, and I'm very excited to have my friend Charles Silver. Charlie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, Charlie, thanks so much for having me. I don't know many Charlies, Charles. I don't know a lot of them. So when I do get to meet one, when we first met, it was cool because uh, already the first impression goes like out the window. You're already good in my book. Yeah, well, likewise, <laughs> I, same thing. I mean... You got to be good if you're Charlie. We we did an AMA uh, not too long ago, and 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 the users and and my listeners, some of them who have listened and watched it, uh, people can go back in there. Uh, but I wanted to provide like a another update and, and to to kind of dive deep into some of the topics that we talked about last time that I didn't really get to to dive as deep as I wanted to. Um, and so uh, you've you've written a lot, you've talked a lot uh, online, you do a lot of uh, AMAs. You're the founder and CEO of Permission.io, which is which is a platform for those who remember that that pays users for engaging with or even looking at ads. But really, it's more important than that because you've effectively de-siloed data. And in fact, like uh, I wanted to buy the term de-siloed dot com after we spoke because I, that, it's such a great term, like de-siloing things, you know. Um, and it's a, it's such a great uh, way to understand data and information and privacy when you understand it from the point of like how everything fits in specific silos. I want to read a quote that you said that you did an AMA back in September. You said, and this is, this is kind of what I want to touch on and, and, and kind of get into. I'm going to read this quote. It's a great quote. I saved it. You said, I was therefore deeply inspired by the early efforts of crypto entrepreneurs to create an alternative to fiat and centralized monetary systems. The principles of decentralization and individuals in control are very important ethical concepts that I believe in very strongly. You know, Charles, I completely agree. And, and when you said those two things, it really struck a chord with me. Where, where do you think that, that, that came from when you said that? How did that all come to be? Uh, where did you get some of those feelings and, and these, these principles that you believe so strongly that uh, having individuals in control is so important to, to us as human beings? Because I have to tell you, a lot of people don't agree with that. They believe in more of the collective. Well, I can tell you exactly where this all came from. I was actually a congressional staffer. I worked in the House of Representatives and the Senate. It was my first job uh, out of college. And I was a very liberal Democrat coming out of the University of Michigan. Oh, wow. And I went to Washington. And at the time, the till of the Hun, I mean, people think there was animosity towards Trump. When Reagan got elected in the in the in 1980 and in the early 80s, he was vilified and hated by the press as much, if not more, than Trump has been over the last several years. Really? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it was like the till of the Hun took over Washington. Anyway, I had the, the, tr the pleasure to hear Ronald Reagan speak very early when I was in Washington, and he talked about Ayn Rand 
as a huge influencer on him. Well, wow. I subsequently devoured all of Ayn Rand's books, became an expert in her philosophy, objectivism, I actually went on to teach courses about objectivism, and I hosted television shows and podcasts and all of these things, and I was very enthralled with objectivism, which at its core is not really a new philosophy at all. It's, I mean, she's just an Aristotelian going back 2,000 years, but applying Aristotle's principles to modern life. And it's all about the individual being the standard of value, where the individual's happiness in life is the standard of the good. And by the way, this is the same philosophy that inspired our founding fathers. It's not the collective which is the standard, it's the individual. And these are the forces in society that have been battling each other for hundreds of years, certainly since the Enlightenment and the founding of this country, collectivism versus individualism. And it plays out all throughout the political spectrum. As a matter of fact, it's playing out in the COVID crisis today. It's the same set of principles. Are there centralized controls, uh, authorities that tell everybody what to do and they should obey? Or are individuals in charge of their own lives and should make their own decisions about their own health and well-being? Is it a balance somewhere in the middle? What are individualists or objectivism, what is it right about the role of the collective, though? Because you have to admit that there is some value in, like, the parts of the whole is great. It, the whole is greater than all the sum of its parts, right? So what is the role what is that like hybrid approach? I struggle with this. I was jokingly telling my some guy at the gym the other day, I was like, give me 10 years and I'll figure out governance. Because that middle of the road approach that, that balances uh, the individual versus the collective is something that uh, I feel like we've yet to find in, in the world or at, like humankind has yet to figure that out. Because, you know, you look at things like being able to come together with all of our information, the ethos of cryptocurrency, the ethos of it. I'm just reading the white paper this morning again because I'm such a geek. The ethos of Bitcoin is all these parts coming together to have a secure whole. And that's why Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is so amazing because you have all these individual, so you have all these individualized parts that can equally and through and with some anonymity and some private and, and a lot of privacy join a whole. So maybe is that the balance where you're more individual, you're an individual, but when you're joining a whole, it's somewhat anonymous. I, I don't know. Well, you know, the founding fathers of our country really, in my view, are the geniuses of history. Uh, they really figured it out how people can live together with the individual as a standard of value, but at the same time, figure out a governance system that has checks and balances, and we'll see if it holds up. I mean, it's being challenged right now on several fronts. Um, but yeah, when you put hundreds of millions and billions of people together, it's tough to, to figure out a governance system. But can you talk more about the whole Trump versus Reagan thing? I didn't, I didn't, know about this. Uh, uh, how else? I mean, like, how else was, was Reagan vilified? What did, they, what did they say about him? 
How was he like approached? Maybe this is my ignorance. I, I never really read about the rise of Reagan. Maybe that's probably a book if it's not someone should write that. It probably is 15 books written about that. But like, what was that like? Well, coming out of the 1970s, I mean, let's talk. I mean, and it's very related to crypto. 1971, Nixon broke, defaulted on the world, defaulted on the Brenton Woods Agreement and said, where the dollar was the global standard currency, where every country can exchange dollars for gold. Well, after guns and butter and Vietnam, you know, and social spending on steroids, governments around the world started exchanging their dollars for gold. We had 26,000 tons of gold at Fort Knox, and it went down to 8,000 tons. It was actually led by Charles de Gaulle in France to say, I don't want these dollars. I want, I want gold. And the world started exchanging dollars for gold. And Nixon said, no, nope, we're defaulting. You can no longer trade dollars for gold. That was in 1971. And what happened in the 70s, we had rampant inflation. I mean, real 16 to 18% inflation annual. Jimmy Carter was president. He was a disaster. Uh, during these inflationary times, and it led to the election of Reagan, who said, you know what, government's out of control, government spending is out of control, we need to get a handle on it. And he got elected, Paul Volcker was chairman of the Federal Reserve, pumped up interest rates to 20%, 20%. My first mortgage was a 14% mortgage. Did that I mean, mean though prices went up that much of things every year as well? Like absolutely. 10%? It was a real hyper, well, it wasn't quite hyperinflation, but it was the most inflationary period we've ever had. And um, so when Reagan got elected, you know, it was all about cutting government. People had to go through the pain to readjust everything. And you know, he was vilified. I mean, he was considered the till of the hunt, really, for cutting government spending dramatically. Americans are now seeing what that uh, kind of hyperinflation feels like. We're getting a little bit taste of it. Just for an example, I was ordering a, a Christmas dinner for, for Christmas for, for the family this year. I try to order it a month in advance to like save on costs because it's a bunch of people. And, and I've been doing it every year. Price is always the same. It rose 20% this year, 20% for a Christmas dinner. And I asked why, I asked the chef, I said, why does it cost so much more? He says, food, and it's not my manpower, my cost is the same, my, what I'm making, I don't make, in fact, I make less, but all of my costs have gone up. And I, and I was like, so thrown off guard because I walk around claiming to be an economist. Well, I don't like tell people like, hey, I'm an economist, but I do this show. I've been in crypto for a long time. I feel like I study economics enough to be able to feel like I have a little bit of a handle on it. And here I am totally thrown off guard over the food costs for Christmas. And I should have known. Well, of course. I mean, imagine you're running a crypto project and you quadrupled the supply. You said you had a certain supply, but you know what? We need to quadruple the yeah. supply. I mean, what happens to the crypto? Everyone in the I telegram mean, room would come after you. Exactly. I mean, it goes down in value. And I mean, yeah. it's amazing to me that the dollar still has confidence. But I think we're on the verge. I mean, and when I say the verge, the next several years, certainly within five years, as the government printing 
just continues on steroids, there's going to be a total, total breakdown in the trust of the dollar. And it's you're seeing it with Bitcoin, you're seeing it with gold, you're seeing it. The cost of food, I mean, and nothing yeah. tears apart society more than inflation. Most people nothing. shop for things like technology and all these like deflationary goods like clothing and and technology and, and the cost of these things are going down because we become more efficient at them. And so we're looking, you know, all the, we're doing all our holiday shopping now and you're looking at the cost and yeah, TVs and computers go down, but at the end of the day, you can't eat a TV. You can't eat a Xbox. Uh, and so the things that matter for survival are going up now. And I'm not trying to scare you, but uh, it's true. You look at last year versus now and uh, everyone's getting a little bit of a dose of a lesson of economics because Everyone now realizes what happened. Stimulus relief, you know, it was a good thing, uh, however you look at it, or a bad thing, however you look at it. I'm not here to, to, to make you, to help you make a decision on that, but I'm just trying to show everyone that the, what happens when the government prints a crazy amount of money, and I think 20% of all the dollars in circulation have been printed in the past year, but hold on, that's a, that's a somewhat of an ignorant statement because I'm not talking about the M1 money supply, I'm talking about something else, and I'll explain that in li a little bit later. But essentially now, that's why prices are going up. We've debased our currency, and it's not like, the Glenn Becks of the world who told you the world is going to go on fire and we're all going to be in our nuclear bunkers. But this is kind of how it happens. It happens slowly. And with COVID, we saw, we saw how that all played out. Charles, we're going into the next five years, and I'm going to bring the optimism in here and the question for you. In the next five years, we're entering this world of like these global microeconomies that are not based on like where you live or what language you speak. It's more of whatever that product or utility is itself. You know, and you see that with, 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 uh, with products that you buy nowadays, you join a, a forums, internet forums, and everyone can talk about that product. You guys, same thing with the telegram rooms that you guys have. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't say where the person's from or what language you speak at all. Everyone works together. So we're entering that world now. And there's a huge trillion dollar economy with, with data, with advertising, and with, with not just the data of, of our spending and saving habits, but with things like our medical data and all this other stuff. We've, we don't need to go into like our issues with trust, but you've solved the problem of removing, of, of removing that middleman of basically and tell me if I'm saying it wrong, I'm gonna let you take over, but like, you've figured out a way to like, quantify data uh, in a lot of different ways uh, using your, some of your, what you call uh, data algebra and to de-silo information and allow people to give specific information to share uh, from, from like, if I have information and I wanna share it to a specific doctor or to a specific advertiser, I can choose to share at that moment and I'm in more control of my data. Everyone makes money and it all works out really well. So there's no question oh, there, but I just wanted to throw that all out there. No, that is the vision. I mean, data is the most valuable commodity in our economy and individuals have been shut out out of the value creation. And our whole mission is about enabling individuals to profit from their data. And if somebody wants to reach them, they can grant permission and then be compensated. And so everything we've done from our technology, our data algebra technology, the 
takes data out of applications and allows us to query it as a as a whole from building you know our platform our infrastructure uh, our browser extension all of these tools that allow advertisers to pay individuals directly instead of paying Facebook Google Twitter and the whole premise of verified users crypto compensation and permission data is going to lead to such a better result for all parties individuals and anybody trying to sell something can you explain how that works a little bit deeper because the concept is actually pretty brilliant when you 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 take all data and instead of having to rely on querying all the data together you you've created metadata and and using blockchain tech all the verified users the compensation and then the ability to query all this data and then have all the the permissions and the sharing be public it can all work together without you having to maintain a lot of the, those costs does does that accurately describe it well it does i mean that's the long term vision i mean we're taking it one step at a time and uh this is a very ambitious project and will roll out over you know quite a period of time but we have quite a bit of it built already and it started with this technology our company was originally a deep technology company uh created by this technology called data algebra which we by the way have nine patents on um and the ability to translate data in the mathematics is a major major milestone in all of computing our problem you know going taking the company back several years was building the use case and this is you know i got fell in love with crypto and decentralization and we saw this use case on how to use data algebra to to query data in disparate data stores all over the web anything that's linkable it can can be converted into mathematics and then it's all queryable as a single whole what's the business model here then advertising that's Simple. the killer app it's the killer it's app it's just advertising advertisers pay permission we use our crypto ask to drive clicks and views and conversions it's that simple hey everyone i'm charlie shrem and it's time to get out of the stone age and into the crypto future at bit casino over the next 4 weeks famous statues are ready to take you on this epic journey around the world to share their love of bit casino so follow along as a new statue is revealed each week with a cool video all you have to do is guess that statue that comes next and win big with a 2 bitcoin raffle and over 3 bitcoin and weekly prizes with three different ways to win that's over 5 bitcoin up for grabs yep you heard that correctly bit casino has given away over 5 bitcoin with 2 bitcoin in raffles plus like Three Bitcoin and weekly prizes. Come on, they're giving away Bitcoin, and we all know the supply of Bitcoin is very hard to come by. There's a finite supply, so these guys are giving them away. All you have to do is go on Bit Casino and guess the new statue. So get out of the Stone Age and get into the crypto future. Head to Bit Casino to win big. It's a crazy world when I tell you that everything we say, do, hear, see, sleep, everything that we 
uh, interact with the world is being constantly listened to, packaged up, and sold to other people without our permission. But we already know that. Don't you're you're not in your head. We know that. Why are we okay with it? We shouldn't be. We're not getting paid for any of that. Well, my sponsor, Permission.io, actually a very cool company, and you could check them out at Permission.io forward slash Charlie. They figured out a way for you to get a piece of the action because advertisers are going to be targeting you no matter what. And now you can decide which advertisers are able to do so by granting them specific permission and then you get a piece of the action. So you're like basically earning rewards for doing what you already do online, consuming the content and sharing all your favorite information. Now, right at this minute, only these tech giants are profiting from your data. You have all these like uh, Cambridge Analytica and all these like... uh, crazy files that are coming out with how our data is being used against us to spin elections and fake news and blah, blah, blah. With my sponsor, Permission.io, that is about to change. If anything, check it out. It's so cool what they're doing and how they're doing it. You can get a special sneak peek at Permission.io forward slash Charlie. And thank you guys. Thank you, Permission team, so much for sponsoring and allowing me to do what I love to do and to do this show. So for many of the countries that Bittrex Global serves. There's no easy way for investors to purchase stocks like Apple, Tesla. In fact, just the other day, I personally wanted to get involved in the Airbnb IPO, but I couldn't. There's no way to get tokenized stocks. Or is there? This will be the first and only way that Bittrex Global customers can access the U.S. stock market and legally own U.S. stocks from anywhere in the world. Tokenized stocks. It is so cool. So these shares are tokenized and it's possible to buy like a fractionized portion of a stock. So for example, like Berkshire Hathaway, I think trades at $300,000 a share. Now through Bittrex Global, you can actually just buy $300 worth or $500 worth. And then these tokenized stocks are legally bound to the stock itself and it trades exactly like the stock does it's beautiful it's actually what blockchain is supposed to do it's why we're here in the first place it's this is bringing about the next level of these like credit and capital markets and it's allowing global people uh, all over the world to, to, to participate in some of the coolest companies that are based in america today or even companies around the world like i could see so many different applications of this one utility um, stocks on the U.S. stock market only trade between like 9.30 a.m. and 4 p.m. The, just the other day I had to Google that because I don't even know that. But because these assets are tokenized, they're going to trade 24 hours a day. And n- not only that, like individual stocks, but investors can also invest in the whole like S&P 500. Uh, they can get into the, uh, all these indexes uh, just through Bittrex Global's tokenized stock. It's so Cool. Make sure you check out global.bitrex.com forward slash discover forward slash tokenized dash stocks. We're going to have it in our show notes. This is one of the front running new on the front lines application of blockchain technology. And you guys are going to have so much fun with it. The tokens become like a, a little army for the advertisers. So I could see the benefit there. Um, but how how do you verify? What's the benefit for the advertiser when it comes to verifying the the eyeballs and verifying not just the data, but the permission to use that data to the advertiser? Well, that's where our platform comes in. That's what we're doing. We are the infrastructure that allows for all of this to happen. So look, at, when an advertiser spends on Google or Facebook or Twitter, they know 
half of their money is going to criminals. Do you know that in 2021, it's estimated that 87 billion, and this is from eMarketer, will be will be collected by hackers and organized crime. Yeah. It's the second biggest business in the world that it's so easy to set up a website, put on Google ads and start hitting it with bots. Google loves it because it just drives their yeah, revenue. Yeah. And so the notion that when a big advertiser is spending a large chunk of money, they know half of it's going to criminals. It's a hard thing to swallow. And that's why I think we've seen peak Google, peak Twitter, peak Facebook. And there's going to be all these new systems that actually verify users. For our users to withdraw their crypto, they have to go through a KYC process. And we know they're verified. and They're real people. There's no fake accounts. There's no bots. There's no ad blockers. You're climbing a harder uphill battle by doing that. Because like everything when it comes to even podcast numbers can be faked. And in fact, like there's a, a standardization now on how what a podcast download is, because like you said, it's such a big industry. Can I give you an example? Like Google doesn't care. They claim when they were like banning all like they go, oh, we're going to ban all crypto advertising. That was in 2017. Instead of just trying to do better, they, they don't want to spend when they're making money from scammers and hackers. They're not going to like, if there was an easy way to stop it, maybe they would, but they're not going to go and spend money to try to stop it. Unfortunately, unless the government tells them to, or users like the market, we stop using those places. And I'll give you the perfect example. Blockchain.info has been around for like 10 years. It is the top used Bitcoin website for 10 years. They advertise on Google for 10 years. If you go and type in blockchain.info on Google, that ad that you see, the ad is a scam website. For 10 years, Google has no incentive to fix it. They don't care. They'll probably kick my show off Google now just because I say this. I don't care. Well, look at the market. I believe in markets. Me too. Me too. Individuals, companies, you know, they find the value. I mean... There's no question. Uh, Uh, You said it so brilliantly. Can I interrupt you? You said what Satoshi said. Satoshi said very, I'm going to give you the perfect example. Markets. Markets is the perfect example of a collective that still gives a right to the individual. So we have, what are markets? Markets are essentially individuals that come together in a private and anonymous way and follow a path of what the individual wants, but as a whole, right? Satoshi talked about that in the white paper. He talked about how stock markets use ticker tape, which is just the metadata. So you can have all the tradability with all this metadata, kind of what you're doing with permission.io without giving up the actual specifics of the trade. Satoshi said, if we could figure that out in the rest of the world, then that's what we'll have figured out. That's the collective versus the individual. That's that balance. That's why I read the white paper. It's like my Bible. Dude, I'm like a freaking nut. You know, Adam (laughs) Smith wrote about it. Wealth of nations. I mean, this is all enlightenment thinking. The, the peak of the Enlightenment, where, you know, reason and individualism were the primary value. Adam Smith wrote about it, that countries and individuals acting and companies acting in their self, own self-interest optimize the globe for everybody. 
I mean, that's the best situation is when people are operating in their own self-interest. That is where the good happens. And yet that's the big battle philosophically in the world. People believing that self-interest doesn't provide goodness. It's greedy. That's such a ridiculous idea. It's only people acting in their own self-interest provides all the benefit to everybody else. I mean, businesses are created because somebody sees an opportunity, but that opportunity is solving somebody else's problem. Markets are such beautiful things, and yet, you know, so much of the world thinks that they're greedy and evil, and it's just so goofball. But I think individualism and markets and decentralization is a winning trend, and there's always this battle. But I, I, I'm very optimistic that the trends are going to be positive. And crypto and blockchain is all part of it. It's, it's such a key part of it. The global trend has definitely turned back to the individual with the, the advent, like started off with the internet, but really accelerated with, with cryptocurrency, with 2008, 2009, like recession crisis, and then with coronavirus too. When, when do you think that trend like left the individual and went towards the collective, at least like not just in this country, but in the world as a whole? Was there a, a specific point in time in the last hundred years that you could think of? No, this is a, again, this is a centuries old battle. Centuries. I mean, it goes back, I mean, to ancient Greece. I mean, it's the battle between Aristotle and Plato. You know, they're totally diametrically opposed in every aspect. And this battle, and it's a battle between religion and secularism, it's, you know, it's what's reality. At the end of the day is, how do you understand reality? Is reason valid? All of these questions, um, they're, they're century-old questions, and there's always been a yin and yang battle. Uh, but I see positive trends, and I see technology as a positive. I mean, what goes on in China? I mean, think about China and Russia as examples. These were communist dictatorships. Um, that where individuals had zero rights. They couldn't go into business. They couldn't do anything. Now, they're still dictatorships, but they're allowing at least their citizens to pursue their own interest in business and other things. As long as you don't criticize the government in these countries, you can do whatever the hell you want. Um, and that's a positive, positive trend for half the world. Recognizing the right of of humans, the uh, do you ever hear the term like life is cheap? I think that's changed a lot. I think like we don't look as life being cheap anymore. That's definitely changing. But you you made me realize something about myself that I've never really realized before, and that's I always wondered like what why did what motive? So I grew up in like a very religious community. I grew up in a very very religious collective that was not based on the individual who was no. the, the conservative uh, community that had a lot of very, very good properties. But for me, I didn't ever fit in and I never really understood why. But I think now I understand what drove me into cryptocurrency. And maybe there was the search for my own individuality 
that led me into Bitcoin, into not just now mine, but 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 everyone else's too. Maybe I have to think about this more. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, religion, listen, has a lot of positive qualities to it. But at its core, obedience is central. That they don't encourage individual thought to go off and do your own thing. No, at the core of religion uh, is obedience and and not thinking for yourself. Um, Even though religion has positive qualities, Philosophically, it is the ultimate centralized authority. And if you think of religion and government, it, it's really the same thing. I mean, it's very, they have a lot of similar qualities. Um, that socialism is essentially, you know, uh, religion uh, as applied to government. Um, so, you know, these, again, philosophical battles have been going on forever. And they're playing out in crypto and particularly in our business. I mean, if you can think of Google, Facebook, Baidu, Alibaba as the centralized state. Well, guess what? Now the, 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 uh, there's this battle that individuals should be in control of their own data versus Google and Facebook. And this is a battle that's going to be playing out over the Internet. And I see it. The trend's very positive. But I've not seen a shift. I've not seen any changes I've seen a lot of theory, a lot of talk, but at the end of the day, we're still using all these things. Yes, I've seen more people sign up for Signal and all these other privacy chat apps in the past six months that I've seen in the in the past six years. But maybe I'm looking for a more physical shift. I don't know. Well, it's going to take time. It's going to be slow. I mean, uh, you know, companies like Permission and the whole ecosystem of companies that say, hey, individuals should own and profit. Uh, from their data. Uh, I mean, this is a, I mean, every day someone sends me a note. Hey, do you hear about this company? Do you hear about that company? And the answer is no, no, no. I mean, there's a whole ecosystem growing that says data is owned by the individual and they should be in control and profit from it. And soon the advertisers will be uh, on board with this. Regulations are already happening. I mean, the California you know, Privacy Rights Act and the Prop 24 that just passed again, which tightens more and more regulatory control, uh, uh, concerns over Google and Facebook. Um, uh, I don't know. It, it, again, it, these are trends that yeah. take time to play out. What uh, what are you doing at Permission.io for the users now? Like what, uh, how can users get involved? How can listeners get involved? What... um. How can they get themselves involved in this in this data shift? Well, sign up, go to permission.io. It's very easy to open an account. And then you can start watching ads that pay you. It's that simple. And you can start accumulating ASK. And it's a liquid cryptocurrency. Um, and our goal is to create more and more and more liquidity. Uh, that's, and we're just getting started. So, and soon you'll be able to download a little piece of code that when you travel around the internet, you'll see ads that are relevant based on your surf, oh, you cool. know, where you serve, where you go. And if you give permission, you'll see relevant ads right at the location. I mean, you could search for Adidas on Google and we could serve an ad for Nike because we've been able to read that data. 
if you've given permission. Have advertisers like incorrectly look at looked at their advertisees as just numbers? And what I mean by that is like you never see when I have when I have advertisers come to the show or in my other businesses, they'll never they won't ask like, what's the the purchasing power or the spending power of of your of your advert of your like person on your platform or, or or view of your advertisee? And obviously, you don't know that answer, but you don't see it. I didn't really see a difference in people caring like where those eyeballs came from potentially uh, because. At the end of the day, if I'm advertising to a thousand people a product that they're never going to buy, can't afford, or don't even know what it is, then it's kind of a moot, a moot point. So what, like, what kind of data are you collecting from like me as an advertisee, not collecting, but asking so you can, so the advertiser knows that they're actually advertising to someone who wants to be advertised to? Well, that's a great question. And that's really how this, how we're building out the company. It starts with a simple profile data that you fill out. Next is where you travel, where you surf on the internet. Next is uh, a member linking to their Twitter, Facebook, Google, and allowing us to query it. Next is linked to your credit scores, your health records, your bank accounts, you know, whatever you want. I mean, somebody like me or you, you know, can be worth, huge amount of money to, you know, luxury hotels or people selling life insurance or, or cars. I mean, that's where this is going. I mean, think about the internet today is kind of early stage. It's still very early stage. The next stage will be when the data is really granular, it's permissioned, and now an advertiser can know what your credit score is, what your bank account how much assets you have, where you travel, where you shop, if you're willing to share it. Mm. But guess what? That data is out there anyway. So why wouldn't you want to share it and then be compensated? I mean, someone may be willing to pay me. Do you know what Amex pays for a new credit card subscriber? What? Like $800. That's what it costs them to get a new user. If they know you is a potential, you fit all the criteria. Yeah, because they're getting all the data. Exactly. You know, and they I, may be willing to pay you $200 to, to, to look at a video about Amex. Do you, uh, do you think that the quality of the data will become better because I'm choosing to share it as opposed to like someone crawling it on the Internet and what they think I want? Absolutely. That's where this is all going, where individual has this massive amount of data. And in every context, and if they're willing to share it and give permission, they could be very well compensated for it. Charles, you know, I, uh, I love how we brought this all back together. And I love how uh, you're on that like mission to bring back the, the, the individuality and using cryptocurrency to do that and using blockchain technology to do that. Thank you so much for taking the time for coming on the show today. And thank you for also sponsoring the show to help me bring this message forward and to do and to enlighten all the listeners that we did today and to to continue doing that. Thank you. Well, Charlie, thank you so much. And I appreciate so much what you're doing for our industry. Thank you.